if you will please, and turn with me to the book of 2 Timothy. I'd like to draw your attention to 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Would you find it for me? Oh, sorry. (laughs) I brought my big boy Bible tonight, so it's okay. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. Somebody tell Kim Fain it's okay to come in. She said she wasn't going to come in if she hadn't been here by the time. But it's okay. I told her I'd stop for her, but I guess not. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. If you're comfortable standing, I ask you to stand with me as we read God's word together. If you're not physically able, don't worry about it. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to say thank you, Brother Sanchez, for sharing your heart with us. Wow. Brother... Brother Sanchez, God has got you right in the right place doing the right job. And you bring him honor and glory. Brother Van Horn, thank you for your testimony. To realize that it's not just prisoners in America that get to have Rock of Ages, but the whole world. And that you're the guy in charge of that. To God be the glory. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And and both wives, Miss Fina... Thank you for supporting your husband. Ms. Van Horn, thank you for what you're doing. These are special servants. Pastor said choice servants, and we appreciate them and being here. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past, and overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Now see... Anytime you have naysayers in the congregation, don't worry, I won't make you stand as long as I stand. But I will say this. Anytime you have naysayers in the congregation, and they may split a few folks off along the way for whatever reason, just remember this, nevertheless, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal that the Lord knoweth them that are His... And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. In other words, quit your meanness. But in in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but of wood and earth, and of earth, and of some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lusts and follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call upon the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strives, strives. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. 
Dear Father, I thank you for the privilege to be here tonight and to preach your word. I thank you for these dear folks that have been here. Thank you for the missionaries that have shared their hearts with us this evening. I pray, God, that you'll be pleased to speak to our hearts tonight. Thank you for the sacrifices that have gone behind uh, this meeting and the uh, folks who have worked so, so hard. I pray, Father, that you'll reward them richly for their labors of love. Father, fill me again, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Our quest was set out for us in Sunday school on Sunday morning. We talked about what the Word of God had to say about this very theme, make me a servant. And each night I've tried to stress to you in a different manner what it is to be a servant or what a servants do or how we can be effective servants. But today as I was preparing this message, I got to thinking about the one part I had not come to and the Lord really gave me freedom to get there tonight. And that is the subject of a servant's heart. When we say make me a servant, what we're saying is I want to have the hands of a servant. I want to have the feet of a servant. I want to have the mind of a servant. I want to have the words that a servant would use. I want to have the mouth of a servant. I want to have the attitude or the disposition of a servant. I want to have the response of a servant. I want to have the strength and wisdom of a servant. I want to have the servant's will. I want to have the servant's determination. But ultimately, I want his heart. When we say this, God, make me a servant, I don't know if you've reached your moment this week. That moment where you literally uttered to God, Lord, make me a servant. Make me that. And in so doing, what you are saying is, God, what I want you to do is give me the heart of a servant. Give me that which I need to function according to your word. Well, Paul was writing to Timothy, and he speaks to him in such plain terms. I was up late last night, and I was praying, God, what, what is it that you want me to go to tomorrow, meaning for tonight? What is it that you want me to be able? And it just was so clear to me. That this passage of scripture, as it indicates, begins in verse number 24. The Bible says, and the servant of the Lord must. And that phrase came to my mind. And I realized that that is where you and I, this might be the toughest message of all to listen to. Because these are the requirements of a servant. This is what you have to do. If you're going to be a servant. You say, well, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm going to point you to scripture. If you find discomfort, take it to the one who wrote it. The one who bought you. You remember we talked about the other nights when we were beginning on our, our just by way of review. On Sunday morning, we talked about how we had an owner. And we had an obligation. We had an opportunity as a servant. Sunday night, we discussed the decision to become a servant. Paul said, you know what? I declare my freedom. I'm free from everything, everybody. Yet I choose to make myself a servant for one reason, that I might gain the more. Last night, we just simply tried to convey to you that the king has a view of your service. That must 
change your perspective. It must change your motivation. If it doesn't, you miss the point of it. The king one day will reply to you. The king one day will have a message for you. And when he speaks, you'll see it the way he saw it. Because what you did, you did to him. But tonight as I talk to you about a servant, I want you to understand what it actually means when it says the servant of the Lord. Believe it or not, this phrase, while we might say it, this is an Old Testament phrase. This is not a New Testament phrase at all. It's used for three people in the Old Testament, and it's mentioned once in the New Testament. Moses was called the servant of the Lord. Joshua, who was Moses' protege, his, Moses was his mentor. So we have Moses and we have Joshua, both referred to as a servant of the Lord. And the third was King David. I mean, these are prominent men that are mentioned in Scripture. And this uh, uh, prompting of the Holy Spirit of God to uh, breathe on Paul to write these words chose an old school word called the phrase called the servant of the Lord. And when he gives this, it would be instant to say, okay, then this must be clearly just for preachers. But the idea of this word is the idea of saying that I am a basic servant who is under the obligation of a master. Well, that would require all of us to recognize this is the requirement for servants to do. And then he says, the servant of the Lord must. Must. What does must mean? Brother Richie, stand and read for us John 4, 4. The only reason why is, one, I don't want to walk back up there. Two, I probably couldn't find the book of John tonight. John chapter 4, neither can Brother Farley. He ate too much. John 4, 4. Kim, I know you're here. If you want to sit with Bill, it's fine. It's no problem. Really, And your mom. It's okay. They're just waiting for you. No, you're okay? Okay, fine. I just want to not keep the home divided. Bill, I'm sorry. I tried. But do I still get the $100 for doing it? Thank you. <laughs> Brother Richie, John 4, 4. Parallel in your mind the thought, the servant of the Lord must. What does the word must mean? Thank you for the emphasis on the word must. That was very preacher-esque of you. John 4, 4 is the story of the woman at the well. She lived near in the town of Sychar. The disciples would go into Sychar and do business with the people. Coming out of that town, they would find a woman talking to Jesus at the well. The very purpose of, their, of Christ's trip to Samaria was he had to go because this woman was ready to hear about the water of life. And that town was ready to believe on him. Not just because of the testimony of the woman, for many did believe because of the testimony of the woman, but many more believed because of the testimony of the Messiah. When Jesus said, or when it says of Jesus in chapter 4, verse 4, he must needs... It's the same word, must, as when Paul told Timothy, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is required. You remember the passage of Scripture, thus it behooved Christ 
to suffer. Same word. It was absolutely necessary, according to the scriptures, that Christ would have to suffer. The same word behooved, the same word must needs, it's the same word for a servant of God. There is no negotiations on this. This is not a matter of parsing out words to figure out whether we can get around this or not. If we are going to be a servant and God is going to do something with our hearts to say, I am yours, God, do whatever you want with me. These are the have-tos. Are they have-tos in the sense of I'll lose my salvation? No. (laughs) The beauty of being saved is there are no have-tos. That's how we got that. But if you are saying, make me a servant, then these are the things that you need to know about a servant of the Lord. Each night we've sung in the, at either the invitation time or it was sung in the service. Give me, Lord, a servant's heart. I'm going to tell you what are the contents of a servant's heart. Notice the first one, if you would, please, in verse 24. A servant of the Lord, number one, must not strive. What is striving? Have you ever gone to church with somebody? Please don't point anybody out. I feared this. As soon as I was forming this question, I thought, better warn him. Have you ever gone to church with somebody that is quarrelsome? All they want to do is quarrel. They just want to use words to discuss and debate and never, ever, ever are at peace or calm in their heart. The Bible says that if we are going to be a servant of the Lord, we must not be a quarrelsome people. Now, there's two reasons to be quiet in church. One... You don't understand what the preacher's saying. Two, you do. Now, either you all are making this list of all the quarrelsome people, or all of you are quarrelsome people. Shock! (laughs) You will deal in the ministry when you are a servant you will deal with quarrelsome people. You will deal with folks who've got nothing more to do than nitpick, fuss, gripe, and complain. They wake up in the morning and they feel like they have to learn new words to gripe and complain about. They have things that they must feel like that they haven't complained about. They're on a 30-day rotation cycle of things that they complain about. And in the ministry, you feel like, oh, it's the third Tuesday. Here it comes. Bring it on. Oh, it's the fourth Friday. Here comes the call. And whether these kids are on your bus route or whether they're in your Sunday school class, whether they are at your workplace, whether (laughs) they're in your family, the point is this, is that you are not to quarrel back. Say, but I, I, I want to give them a piece of my mind. You can tell you've been doing that a lot. 
If we are going to say, God, make me a servant, then you're signing up for, I'll not be a quarrelsome person. So where's the fun in that? Well, you're learning what it is to be a servant to say, I'll give up my pride. Because you know what? where quarrels start? Pride. Just like most every sin is rooted in pride. You can't forgive. You won't forgive. You don't forgive. That's pride. You want to pick a fight with somebody with words and gossip and bicker? That's pride. Everything about it is stemmed from pride. And if you and I choose to be a servant to say, Oh God, please use me. Then quit your quarreling. But I don't know how to communicate otherwise. Maybe some time in the Word of God will help you to understand that true servants of God must not quarrel. So, well, well, there's, there's this, there's this one person. I'll do it for everybody else, but there's this one person. I cannot help it. I have to do it. It's not that you can't help it. It's that you won't help it. You know, those missions conferences were a lot easier when Brother Danny and Brother John just preached on money. So it means as a servant of the Lord, I surrender being argumentative. I surrender my contempt. I surrender my belligerence. And while I may be mentally equipped to take that person down, I choose not to. So can I be a servant and skip this one? No. Must, must, must. So this whole servant thing is going to mess up my life. You'll just start living. Your family might even like you more. Maybe. I know they will. I I know. I sometimes you have to get people to laugh when they're hurting. There were two people in the ministry of Timothy, Philetus and Hymenaeus, and uh, Hymenaeus. I'm sorry. As if you knew I mispronounced it, right? I mean, I barely got it out there, too. The Bible said that these fellows in the church, they, they were saying that the resurrection had already taken place. And so, therefore, they were overthrowing the faith of some. And Paul, oh, this just thought came to mind, I guess. But uh, Paul said, do a frozen on them. Let it go. <laughs> yeah, never mind. It just... One a night, I guess you get out, and that's it. But it's the idea of simply saying you cannot get yourself engaged at that level with people. You just have to simply say, you're a quarreler, a little quarreler, I am not. Why don't you quarrel anymore? Because I'm a servant of the Lord. And when I asked him at missions conference to make me a servant, I gave that up. Imagine what harmony might come to a marriage. I mean, not that any couple at 
Memorial Baptist Church would ever quarrel with each other. You're not going to like the rest of these either, but let's go to the second one. The servant of the Lord must not strive. This, that's the one that's taught in the negative. Now he speaks to the positive. What must we be? Secondly, gentle. I, I want you to see what gentle means. Brother Van Horn, would you turn, because I'm no longer skilled to turn in my Bible, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's the one I can't ever find because it, I get mixed up between the Timothys and the Tituses. All those T's in a row mess me up. So 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 7. Would you stand and try to like a preacher's type voice and tell us what the word of God has to say because we're looking at the phrase that we have to be gentle. That one too. Cherisheth. A nurse cherishing her children. Mostly all adults in the room, just a quick glance around. But is there anything more gentle, is there any more gentle scene than seeing a mother nurse a child? It's tender, it's precious, it's, it's a beautiful thing. That is the word, gentle. So when we talk about, well, what does the servant of the Lord have to do? One, quit your fussing at each other. Do you fuss at your sisters? Maybe. Girls, hmm, Jess, does he? <laughs> Family Secrets mom said, do not answer Brother O'Malley's questions no matter what. <laughs> Lots of moms do that, huh, Amy? Uh-huh. Yeah. Amy Bordas has to lecture her children when they get near me because I get them in trouble all the time. I know it's hard to believe. Uh, gentle. So the servant of the Lord, with every person he or deals with, has to be... Like a nursing mother to a child. How are you doing on this one? Gentle. If you knew the people I had to deal with. God does know the people you have to deal with because he put you there. And he asked you to be his servant. And therefore, the way you deal with your people are the, is the way God wants you to be as a servant. That is to say, show them gentleness. Should my wife hear me speak more gently to another woman than I do my own spouse? No, my kindest words should be reserved for my wife. My gentlest tones, my gentlest uh, mannerisms, my gentlest uh, speech and words should all be reserved the best for my wife. 
Would you tolerate, Brother Richie, would you tolerate someone speaking in an ungentle way to your wife? No. Why? You're her protector. So why would you allow you to speak to her differently than you would allow someone else to speak to her? The same question I'm asking myself. There should be no one who speaks more gently to our spouses than us. Wives, it's not just unilateral. These are bilateral discussions. What does that mean? Y'all speaking to each other. That means, ma'am, your husband should hear no more gentler words come his way or go to someone else than he would hear from you. And then when we leave the confines of the home after we fix all of the guilt and conviction that we face there, then everybody within our charge must hear gentle words from us. Any illustration I could tell you at this point reflects poorly on myself. I had a moment the other day where I did not live out this verse. I mean, I had an ugly moment. I did not act Christ-like. I did not communicate in a proper way. And the next morning, I read these verses in my devotions. And I thought, wow, why couldn't I have been a day ahead in my reading? (laughs) But even then, I knew the verses, I could quote them. I just didn't live them. You probably, and justifiably, could look down on me and say, wow, and you're preaching to us to do this? I think I'm preaching to the right crowd. Because if we're talking about being a servant. Every word I speak when I'm dealing with people who are even quarrelsome must be as a mother nursing a child. Make me a servant. Oh, a servant's heart. Dear Lord, I pray let me show them. Okay. You ready to quit quarreling? Are you ready to be gentle in tone, in words, in message, with your own spouse? Moms, do you speak more gently to other kids in the church than you do your own kids? There has to be a gentleness about us if we truly desire to be a servant of Christ. Make me a servant! Okay. Well, you're signing up for that you'll stop quarreling and that you'll be gentle. Verse 24, third thing. There's only 17. (laughs) Apt to teach. You can apply this word apt as appropriate. You can apply it to be quick and ready always able to teach. But no matter how you apply it in quickness or readiness or appropriate, it always comes with three 
um, phrases that stick with it. One, that you are kind. Two, that you're compassionate. And three, that it's simple. Is that not how Christ taught? That if I am apt to teach, that is, I'm ready to communicate Christian doctrine at every point, no matter what occurs in my life, that when I have this moment, you say, well, I'm not called to be a teacher. Everybody teaches somebody something. So, well, I've never really sat down to have a formal lesson. Oh, some of your lessons have been caught when they wasn't being taught. So that means when you're in that situation and you're not being quarrelsome, though you're dealing with quarrelsome people, though you are being gentle while you're dealing with the church grouch, images of Sesame Street came to my mind. I had to run through the whole season and then get back to you. This is what happens when you were born at the end of the boomer generation and you were just into the other generation coming up and it's like you have these mixed moments in your life and you... Apt to teach. So I have this quarrelsome person in my Sunday school class. They're never satisfied. They're never content. Your response, be gentle. Secondly, be quick and ready to communicate Christian doctrine to them. Never, and I, this was not in my notes, it wasn't planned, but just kind of in my head at the moment, never use the lectern or the pulpit or your Sunday school class forum to attack one person. It's not what it's about. Apt to teach is quick and ready. I got a lesson for you, buddy! You just buckle up right now. I'm going to fix everything that's wrong with you. No. If I'm going to be a servant, I better adopt what Paul said to Timothy. I want you to be gentle. And I want you to be apt to teach. And I don't want you to be quarrelsome. Number four. Paul continues in his lesson to Timothy, his protege. The Bible says, the last word in verse 24, one word, patient. The idea, the meaning of the word patient is to be able to hold back when evil or bad things happen. That you're able to endure difficulties when you are wronged. Go with me uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through verse 24. Since I'm up here, I'll, I got it written here. I can, don't have to turn. I can just swipe. 1 Peter, that's somewhere toward Revelation. If you get there, turn left. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, watch these words now, leaving us an example, 
that ye should follow his steps. You say, well, that's an unreasonable model or an unreasonable expectation. But the word of God states under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the example of Christ is our example. Continue. Who did no sin. Neither was guile. Uh, it's a word we would, another word we would say would be deceit. Sly. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. I return now back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I realized that Christ's example of patience to a servant. Someone who says, oh, I want to be, make me a servant. Pastor West, that's an awesome theme. I want to be a servant. Okay. Here's the requirements. You have to be patient. Is there like a modified plan? You can like be a four-point servant. A three-point servant. I, like, I, can we negotiate and like every day go into negotiations to figure, okay, today I got three of the five, I'm in? No, it's a, it's a total package. Patient. There was a missionary to the South Pacific. His name was John Selwyn. John Selwyn, during his college days, was a renowned athlete and boxer. Skilled and champion. Just, just a, a tremendous athlete. God called him to be a missionary. And one day, working with the islanders, this one islander, he dressed down for doing something, you know, unsafe or untoward or whatever. The islander got so angry with him, he made a fist and swung and hit Brother Selwyn in the mouth. Brother Selwyn a skilled boxer, and tremendous athlete's response was this. The Islander looked at him and realized, whoa, I just hit the guy who's the champion boxer. And he ran off into the trees, ashamed for striking the missionary. Years later, the islander came back and he trusted Christ as his Savior and he wanted a Christian name to be given to him instead of his tribal name. He said, call me John Selwyn because it was he who taught me the love of Christ. There are times when you work with people that you will reach a place of absolute frustration. I was going to say you'd pull your hair out, but you must work with frustrating people. I do too. I, you know. Yeah. So the truth is, is that people will frustrate you. You may have even reached the point in your own life where you said, this place would be great if it wasn't for the people. <laughs> but the fact is, if we didn't have the people, 
what would we really be doing? Make me a servant says, I will be as patient as Christ was, who did no sin, who did not speak deceitfully, that when he was reviled, he didn't revile again. When he suffered, he endured it, and he committed everything into his Father's trust. Can you do that? You can. Are you? You say, well, what does this have to do about going to the mission field? What does this have to do about giving to missions? What does this have to do about evangelizing the world for Christ? Mm. I'm so glad you asked. Because notice the next verse. It starts in 25. Because... Now Christ calls on the servant of the Lord who must, number five, be meek with the stubborn. Notice what it says. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. What kind of phrase is that? How do you oppose yourself? You ever meet a lost person? You ever meet somebody who... Uh, brother brother uh, Sanchez, this is a classic illustration of opposing themselves. Don't talk to me about God and religion. I'm Catholic. Do you believe in the Pope? No. Do you believe in Mary? No. Do you believe in the nuns? No. Do you believe in the praying the rosary? No. Okay. But you're Catholic. All righty. That's opposing themselves. The atheist. The man whose belief is there is no God. If there is no God, why do you have to have a belief system to oppose? I don't want to get too deep on you here. But why would you have to have a belief system to oppose something that doesn't exist? Who is that? They oppose themselves. We call these people the stubborn. But the call here is to be meek. So what does that mean? We don't intimidate them, we don't insult them, we don't argue with them, we don't provoke them. Meekness is not weakness, but it's rather having power controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. So that when we are dealing with the lost, they see us as a true servant in meekness. Why? Last verse. That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Notice 25, the last part of the verse, I forgot to read it. If God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. When we say, God, make me a servant, it's because we want to see souls saved. When the world sees us with apt to teach, gentle, doesn't strive, Patient, in meekness, teaching those who oppose themselves. They look at that and Paul said, the reason why you're going to do this, Timothy, is we have a world to win for Christ. People who are opposing themselves, it's our duty to deliver the gospel to them. And we need qualified servants who will do this. You do these things and we'll have a better testimony in the world. How often I have heard, and I'm sure you as well, I don't go to church because of the hypocrites. I say, yeah, I 
I don't go to the grocery store because of hypocrites. It's just as ridiculous. So there are hypocrites in church who say, I agree, we're trying to help them. Bunch of phonies go to church. I know that's the best place for them to be. Come join them. You know why we're asking you, or and I don't even want to say we're asking. You know why I'm preaching to you this tonight? Because if you're going to say, make me a servant, it says, God, make me the right way. So I'm the right witness to reach a lost world who is doing nothing more than opposing themselves. Make me a servant. Oh, it's the song is great. The theme is awesome. But who's living it? You see, if you're going to say, make me a servant, then tonight you ought to be at this altar and saying, God, help me to not strive. Help me to be gentle. Help me to be a teacher. Help me to be patient. Help me to be meek so I can win the world for Christ. I want to be the right kind of servant. Don't you? Would you stand with me?